So we're starting a brand new series this morning called How to Trust. And today, we're gonna lay the foundation of how can I trust the Bible? Can I really trust the Bible? And that is such an important thing for you to answer in your life because the reality of how you live your life, what, what uh, measures that is how much you read it and how much you apply it and how much you put it in your life. So, the, so I'm gonna ask you this question. Can you trust your Bible to be the very and the only source that gives you life and strength and power. Can you trust the Bible in that way? So we're going to look at that today. And I hope that you'll walk out of here with some confidence in the Bible itself. And uh, I, I, I find that God has an amazing sense of humor, don't you? So I'm going to tell you a story that, uh, concerning the Word of God that I think is just so funny. The Vol Voltaire, the French philosopher, did not accept the Bible as the Word of God. Did not accept it. And he predicted that Christianity would be swept out of existence 100 years after his death. That was his final words. That was, you know, he had a confidence that that was going to happen. And uh, 50 years after he died, the Geneva Bible Society moved into his house and used his printing press to print thousands of Bibles that were distributed all over the world. That is just such an amazing story, right? God always says, this is so good. God always has the final word in our lives. He always has the final word. So today we're going to take a look at God's final word and we're going to ask the question, can I really trust my Bible? And then we're going to have some application of that. And, uh, and so I want to start with some claims from Scripture. The first one is found in Psalm number 33 and verse number 4. And this is what it says. It says, for the word of the Lord holds true. Do you believe that? For the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. What I know about God comes from the Word of God, not from experience. What I know about God comes from the Word of God. Can I trust that this book that we hold in our hands is the right revelation about God? Because the world wants us to believe that there are many sources. There are many avenues to God, and there are many ways that God speaks to us. But what I want to say to you today is the primary way that God speaks in our lives or to our lives is through the very word of God. So I want to stop and just have a time out here before we move on. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a couple times today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, come on now. You're, you're leaving me out here on a limb. Do you believe that? Thank you, brother. So the proof of whether you believe that is how often you open it and read it. Now, that's a different story, isn't it? Because the average Christian in America opens their Bible very seldomly. Maybe when they come to church, maybe once or twice a week. But the reality is, is that the reason they don't have power and wisdom and grace and gr goodness in their life is because they don't understand the ways of God. And the only way that I can understand the ways of God is through the word of God. So here's the claim that the Bible makes of itself. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed, literally God breathed. Theos pneumatos is the Greek word there that's translated into breathed out. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The, this book claims of itself that it is breathed out literally by, the, by God himself. Yes, there are human authors. But God breathed out the very words that he wanted in the scripture. And then in a miraculous way, preserved those words so you and I, thousands of years later, could have a trustworthy document so that we could go back to that document and really discover who God is. There are countless books that have been written. Each has its own audience. 
But there is one book that speaks with more relevance to more people than all the others combined, and that is the Bible itself. And I want to, if I can convince you of anything today, I want to convince you that what you need more of in your life is the Word of God. What you need more in your life is for you to open this book and really not depend upon somebody else to teach you what it says, but for you to to delve into it and really discover God for yourself because then God becomes alive and real and powerful in your own life. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe that Abraham Lincoln lived and was the president of the United States? Do you believe that? Why? Why do you believe that? You know, almost nobody questions whether he lived, in, lived in, and was the president of the United States. And yet, people question the, the existence of Jesus. So why, why do I know that President Lincoln actually lived? It's because of testimony. It's because of written testimony. Because I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I've never met the guy. So I've got to depend upon Others who had, who wrote about him, and now, you know, hundreds of, 100 years later or so, I can, I, can, I can look at what's written about him and have a confidence that he is, he lived and, and breathed and was the president of the United States. So with that in mind, the Bible is the written testimony of the existence of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's the written testimony. The only way that I can know whether he existed is through the testimony of those who saw him and then wrote about him. So where do you think Satan would attack if he were going to attack our faith? He would attack us at the level of our confidence in the Bible as the written authority as God's word. That's where he would attack. So what I want to give you today is some ammunition for your own life and for you to really grab a hold of some truths that will, I think, help you in your sharing your faith and in and your living your faith out. So if you're going to trust in the, in the uh, trustworthiness of God, there's, there's some evidences for this in, the, in life. So let me suggest there are three questions that you have to answer if you're going to trust the Bible. First of all, is the Bible a reliable foundation? That's the first question. Is it reliable? Are there, or are there just errors and all sorts of man stuff in it? Is it just a document of men? Or is it really God-breathed as it claims? So is it, a, is it a reliable foundation? First question. Second question is, is the Bible historically accurate? And what is fascinating about that question is that archaeologists, we're going to come back to archaeologists in just a few minutes, archaeologists have gone to the Bible and said, hey, there is an ancient city in this location. Maybe we should go do a dig there. And they've actually gone and found cities where the Bible actually said they were. It's a reliable foundation. It is, it is historically accurate. And should I take the Bible seriously? And the answer is absolutely yes, you should. And uh, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to think about those three things because they're going to have a bearing on your life. Now, the Bible contains 66 books. It is written by over 40 different authors in three different languages over a course of 1,500 years. And together, they paint a picture of God creating men, of God calling men, of God saving men. And the, the bottom line is, is God has made a way and the way we know that way is through the Bible itself. In other words, the Bible paints a consistent picture of one message. Did you know that? When you read the book of Genesis, when you read the book of Je Revelation, it is consistently one message. 
It's about the kingdom that has a king and it's about fallen man who needs a redeemer. And that theme is seen all the way through the Bible. From every book of the Bible you can see Jesus in when you're looking for, what, when you're looking for him. So what is the evidence of the reliability of the Bible? There are three tests that any historical document has to put uh, a document through. First of all, is, it, is there accurate transmission? Is there internal consistency? And is there external consistency? Every, every document has to be put through those things. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to go deep a little bit here today. And uh, this, is what you need to, this is what you need to know. I'm only going to be deep for about three or four or five minutes. So hang in there with me, okay? Because I'm going to give you stuff that you really need to be exposed to and understand because people are attacking what I'm saying all the time. So you with me? So even if you're going to sleep during this time, keep your eyes open. And, you know, nod at me like this so I know, yeah, okay, I'm listening, Pastor Dan. I, I hear you because what I'm about to say might be deep, but it is powerful and it's, it's very important for you to understand. So I'd like to deal with all three of these things today, but I can only deal with one. Uh, by far the most common cause for doubt of the Bible is this. Maybe the Bible was written thousands of years ago and maybe it was God inspired by God, but over the period of time, because of all sorts of men, it's been translated thousands of times. And, and now, is it really the Bible? Is it really God's breathed-out word to me today? So there are several questions, two questions in, in particular, to be answered. Now, here's where we're going to, you got to think with me here. So put on your thinking cap, because Christians should be great thinkers, right? So here we go. So if I'm going to study any historical document, this is what i got to ask. What is the time span between the original writing and its earliest copy? Let me say that to you again so you don't miss that. So somebody wrote a document. What is the time span between them writing that document and then when we have it's discovered the earliest recording of that document? What's the time span between those two things? So let me take you to history. So there was a guy, a dude by the name of Aristotle. Ever heard of him? Do you accept his writings? as authentic almost everybody accepts his writings as authentic not necessarily true but authentic in other words they're they're actually written by Aristotle so let's put his document to the test of time so he wrote between around he wrote between about 384 and 322 BC and the earliest copies that we have span a time of 1,400 years before his writings and then time went on and then the earliest copies we have are 1,400 years later when they discovered some of them. 1,400 years between them. And nobody questions whether they're accurate or they're from him or not. And there are only 49 copies of his writings existing in the world today. 49 copies of Aristotle. And yet nobody in science ever questions anything that he's ever written. Homer, not Simpson, by the way. <laughs> when he wrote, there was a gap of 500 years between his writing and there's a gap of 500 years to where we have the earliest handwritten copy of his writings. 500 years. And he does a little better. Uh, there are 643 copies that we could go into and you can, you can go online and you can look at and it's pretty interesting. So what about the New Testament? Let's just look at the New Testament alone. So again, we're asking the question, can I have confidence in my Bible that it hasn't been spoiled by man's hands? Right? That's what we're looking at. 
It hasn't been corrupted. Can I trust the Bible that I now possess? My, you know, I study from the New King James. I read from the New Living Translation and several others. But I have a confidence that the Bible in English that I'm reading is exactly the word of God as he has intended it to be. So let's look at the New Testament and just look and ask this question. So in the writings of the New Testament, when they wrote them, when John, Peter, James, everybody wrote, there is a time span of about a little over 200 years between their writings and the first known historical documents that we can look at, handwritten copies. There's about a 200-year time span. So that's far different than Homer or Aristotle, right? There's a shorter time span. The shorter the time span, the more possibility of accuracy and the question then is how many handwritten copies do you do you suppose that there are of the new testament alone there are over 5,000 manuscripts that they have discovered 200 years span they've discovered over 5,000 manuscripts that can go to, and guess what? When you look at this manuscript and you look at this manuscript, they've discovered them in different locations. There is no, hardly any variation in them at all. No major doctrine, nothing that you and I could look at and say, wow, that's different than that. They're the same. There's a continuous message and it is, God has preserved his word in a miraculous way and he's given us evidence that it exists and you and I can have confidence that what I have is the very word of God and the word of God claims of itself that it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it has the power to take your soul and spirit and divide them. It has the ability to change your life. It is a very powerful, powerful book. And uh, I want to go back to a quote that I skipped over because uh, uh, I'm going to go back because I think it uh, is really powerful. And uh, let's put it on the screen. It's the one by um, Martin Luther. Can we put that up there on the screen? So the, it says here, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet, it runs to me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the dynamic power of the word of God? Well, I hope you have because I have. And it is, is a very, very powerful, powerful book. So that's the first thing I want to talk to you about. Secondly, let's talk about, now, those of you that don't want to go deep, we're coming back to some really interesting but not so deep things, so you don't have to think as much with me now. So, let's talk about fulfilled prophecy. Anybody interested in fulfilled prophecy? The Bible writes history in advance, and then it comes to pass exactly as it says it's going to come to pass. So let's look at Jesus for just a few minutes. You like him, right? Okay. I just check in. You know, you never know the audience. You got to find out where your audience is. So Jesus has things that are written about him, fulfilled prophecies. So in the Old Testament, there are 109 of 322 predictions that were literally fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. So let me say that to you one more time. In the Old Testament, there was 109 of the 322 predictions that were literally fulfilled when Jesus came. Now, that's just his first coming. Things like, where would he be born? What manner of death would he have? How would he enter the city of Jerusalem? The time of his birth. All those things, to the very year, to the very year, 
All those things are very, very powerful things. So what I want you to do is I want you to take out your phone and I want you to take a screenshot of that and have that in your records because when people are attacking the Bible, I want you to know that the fulfilled prophecy has a very significant role in my confidence in the Bible. By the way, there are more prophecies concerning his second coming than his first coming. Only 109 deal with his first coming. There are 322 predictions about Jesus and the first 109 came to pass exactly, exactly to the letter as to how they were supposed to come to, back, come to pass. So Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. He's what the New Testament is written about. And so some scientists decided that they would do a little study about this. And one scientist took just eight of the 109 predictions. Just eight of the 109 prophecies. He concluded that the probability of a single man fulfilling just eight would be one in 10 to the 16th power. That's a lot. In other words, statistically, it would be, it would be almost impossible for Jesus not to be the Messiah and for the word of God to be wrong about Jesus. I mean, that's pretty significant right there, right? I might, you might want to screenshot that too. Because that's pretty important stuff. Then that's fulfilled prophecy. Are you with me so far? So we have, so we have uh, the study of the Bible itself. Now, now we're looking at external things. And so let's talk about archaeology for just a minute. The proof of the Bible is found in archaeology. I'm going to give you one of many archaeological finds that are really fascinating, to, at least to me. Maybe you don't care, but I care greatly about this. So you remember the story of Jericho, right? Old Testament story. Remember Israel was brought out of Egypt and they were going to take into the promised land and one of the things in their way was Jericho and so they had to conquer the city. So the bottom line is, is that they didn't do it usual, in the usual way. They marched around the city several times and then they blew trumpets and all of a sudden, all of a sudden the walls came crashing down and they conquered Jericho. Remember the story? Vaguely familiar to you? All right, all right, okay. So archaeologists did a dig at Jericho and they discovered something really, really weird. So I got to give you an historical context for that. So when archaeologists have gone to other cities, what they have discovered is almost always, actually always, when walls fall down, they fall inward. Why? Because when conquering kings come to conquer a city, there was walls around them and they would use battering rams and they would try to knock down the walls, right? That's how you would conquer a city. So stay with me here. So that's normally, almost always, when you would go to an archaeological dig, you would discover that walls fall inward. But at Jericho, when archaeologists went to Jericho, they discovered that the walls fell, fall, fell outward. I mean, it is really strong evidence and that's just one of hundreds of archaeological digs where the bible has been proven to be the very word of god it's historically accurate and it is the powerful word of god that is so good so then i have to come down to the question is what is my relationship to the word of god then so here's where it's going to get a little pastor danish okay so i'm going to just kind of get in your face and i'm going to suggest to you that if the Bible is exactly what it says it is, God breathed, all scripture is God breathed. If it's exactly, 
if it's exactly that, then what should my relationship to the word of God be? And that is, I should be in a hunger mode for more. I, you know, if I'm walking with Jesus, I can't get enough. So here's, here's kind of a test to see whether you're walking with God. If you have a hunger for the word of God, you're probably walking with Jesus. And if you don't, if you could leave it, you take it or leave it. And, you know, the only time you're exposed to the word of God is when you come to church and you go, you know, come on, come on, come on, get on so I can go to lunch. There's probably something wrong with your walk with Jesus. Can I say that out loud? Yes. Smile at me. I'm smiling back at you. So the word of God should be, should be something that I long for, I hunger for, I desire in my life. It, God has gone to nth degrees to prove to us that it is exactly his word. So there should be very few days in my life that I'm not engaging with some part of the word of God in my life. If you look at our society, you look around and you discover that marriages are breaking up like crazy. And you know what? Here's an interesting stat. Divorce rate among Christians is statistically no different than non-believers. You know why? You know why? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is maybe just a wild thought. Maybe it's because we're not living out the very words that God has intended for us. Maybe we're not living out. See, the Bible addresses things like, what kind of role should I have inside of a marriage? How should I love? How, should I, how, how can I love? How can I look at culture? How can, you know, if you look at our culture, it is broken. Could you see that? It's broken because the Bible has been rejected as an authority in our culture. It has. And Christians have sucked in to the idea that I don't need the Bible every day. My friend, you need the Bible more than you know. It's where we get the wisdom of God. It's where we find connection to the, to the living God. It's where we learn about who God is. It's where we learn about how he reveals himself. It's how we learn to have hope. It's how you and I have to survive. It is a trustworthy book. And it is something that you should, you should make a decision today. And I'm gonna ask you to make a decision today to dust it off, if you don't have one, get one. Or use it on your, you, know, you can download, you know, a version on your phone. But what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to take a serious look at why your life might be a little broken as it relates to why, how much time you spend in discovering God in the Word. So many of you know that I've gone through an illness. I'm still in, the, I'm still in this illness. Still sick every day. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. I would not have survived without my understanding of the Word of God. I would not have made it to this point. I wouldn't be on the stage today without a deep grasp and a hunger. I'm, I'm, I'm just a student. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about the Bible comparatively, but the truth is I've spent 40-some years nearly every day devouring it, looking at it, soaking it in, so that when I came to the, one of the greatest tests in my life, I would have a source of hope. I lost my son 10 months ago. You can't survive that without God in a very easy way. I'm just saying, the Word of God, the Word of God is so significant to you, and so you've got to take a look at it seriously. So this morning, I came to church in my truck. I have a Toyota, and uh, I 
walked out. And I looked at my Toyota and I said, yeah, it's going to get me to church. Actually, to McQueen because that's where I park. Took the shuttle like some people should be doing that right now. So be easier on our parking lot. That was just a shameless commercial. I'm just saying I'm not above that stuff. I'm just not above it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I had to make a decision. Is this truck reliable and trustworthy to get me where I'm going to go? And I made a fundamental decision to say, yes, I make fundamental decisions like that every day. I have faith every day. I go into my house. I turn on the lights. I have to make a fundamental decision. Am I going to trust the light switch? I sit in chair. You're sitting in a chair. Did you test that chair? Or did you just plop yourself down there? I don't know. Come on. So you have, sometimes we have more confidence in the things that are carnal or fleshly or earthly than things of God. And we have to make a fundamental decision as to whether or not we are going to trust the Bible in our life to be the reliable word of God for me. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. And where he's gonna speak to you the most is in the word of God. And every day, that you go without opening this book is a day you might miss something God has for you. Do you get that? And I'm not here to, I'm here to bring conviction, yes, but not shame. I just want, let's forget the past. Let's just talk about the present and the future. Let's just talk about what you're gonna do from this day forward. You know, we get up and look at sports scores. I got up in the middle of the night last night and see how Nevada did. I did. I'm sorry, I'm just weird. And uh, so we get up, we look at scores, we, you know, we look at the stock market, we look, uh, there's lots of things we look at. My question is, what are you doing with the Word of God in your life? Would you, would you make a commitment today as you walk out of here to know that your marriage is dependent upon it, your life is dependent upon it, your children are dependent upon it? You need to know the Word of God. And the only way to know the Word of God is not by a half hour on Sunday mornings. It's not. The way you know the Word of God is when you invest a life into it, studying it, studying it, and studying it. I would start in the New Testament, by the way. That's where I would start. Thoroughly indoctrinate yourself in the Word of God. Look at it. And I'm just going to say, I read the Bible nearly every day of my life, and I look. there's things I learn new all the time. So if you're a Christian that's older, you know, and you go, hey, I've read that book. I'm just simply saying, read it again. Read it again. Because there's things that you're going to see in it that you've never seen before. And when you do that, you're going to go rejoicing. God has an appointment nearly every day with you. And he wants, he wants to communicate to you. And his primary way is through his word. So I'm asking you to think about making a personal commitment, a decision. A decision that I'm going to make the Bible my hunger. I'm going to hunger after it. Here's the thing, though. The Bible offends me every time I read it. I get offended at the Bible all the time. You know why? Because it convicts me of my sin. It convicts me of, my, of how I'm living my life. So I'm just going to warn you. You're going to find great conviction there. But that's what is called growth. The way we change is when the, the Bible confronts us and then we say, yeah, that's right, I believe the Bible and we make the changes we need inside of our lives. Here's my challenge. 
Would you choose to let the Bible be the source of your life? Would you choose to make the Bible the source of your spiritual experience? I know that Jesus is our life, but he wrote this book. He authored this book so that you and I could know him and the power of his resurrection and the truth of his work. Would you make the Bible something that you open up every day and you study and you read? I'm just saying it's such an important book that everyone needs to be in it. So you can, you can take God at his word. Do you believe that? If he said it, you can believe it. You, if he said it, you can believe it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to all stand with me. I'm not done preaching quite yet. So don't leave. We're going to sing a song and then I'm going to come back and I have a few more comments to make. So let's sing this song. If God said it, you can believe it. Let's sing that.
So if I had a Bible on stage, I would do, actually do this, but I'm going to give you a visualization. So I, I want you to imagine that I have a Bible in my hand. I'm going to set it on the floor right here, okay? It's on the floor. You see it? Can you see that? Okay. So how I should approach the Bible is I should stand on it. I should stand on it. Everything in my life should be governed by what I stand on. It's the solid rock. It is what I'm building my life around. Stand on the word of God and your life will find new direction and new power and new grace. I'm just telling you, money back guarantee, money back guarantee. Stand on the word of God. And if I offended you by standing on my Bible, I'm sorry. But I stand on my Bible every day. And so let's say it together. I stand on the word of God. Say it with me. I stand on the word of God. Will you, will you believe that? Will you do it? Will you open your Bible every day? And will you break the statistic that Christians are not studying the word? Would you break that stat so that we can see the power of God? What would it be like if every Christian in this auditorium became students of the word of God? What would that look like? How would our lives be different? I'm just telling you, it would change the game. It would change the game.